0: morning morning. some of us have been here since sunday night last sunday uh, doing a meditation retreat um, which is also our annual um, uh, buddha's enlightenment session or retreat so just as the buddha sat under the bodhi tree Um, we also were sitting here with each other and practicing together. And now we're so happy to be sitting and practicing with you. So I was thinking about how um, when the Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree, he sat at a particular place on the land at a particular place. And we actually um, honor land as one of the four benefactors when we do our meal chant um, which we chant uh, every morning and noon meal during retreats uh, one of the things we dedicate to is the four benefactors which are our parents our teachers our leaders and that's like political leaders the leader you know people who help you know, or political or, you know, administrative, you know, anyway, the people who are like helping us in society. So those are the three, and then we say, and the land. Um, so it's, I think, important for us to consider that here where we are sitting, this land um, is stolen land. So this land is uh, the traditional and uh, and current homeland of the Dakota and other indigenous peoples who have stewarded this land for millennia. So as we sit in meditation today or any day, uh, we're sitting on ground and what is this ground? And how can we honor the Dakota and other indigenous peoples who have stewarded this land? So I think of, you know, that we're Buddhas sitting under Bodhi trees in a particular land. And it's interesting, too, how we, not only the land of the Bodhi tree, but the, there's, we say uh, also in the meal chant, the Buddha was born at in Kapilavatsu, enlightened in Magadha, taught at Varanasi, entered Nirvana in Kushinagara. So we name the places, and um, it's not accidental. So. Like to really feel where is it that we are and then what can we do about it. So um, I don't have the answer. It's just a a question for you as we go forward. What I'd like to do today uh, for uh, my short Dharma talk uh, is tell a story of the Buddha's enlightenment. And this time, I'm going to tell the story as told by Thich Nhat Hanh in this wonderful book, *Old Path, White Clouds*. Um, and I think uh, some people would say he takes a lot of liberties and uses imagination in like reimagining, retelling the story. Um, And like how that happened and who the Buddha talked to and different conversations. However, when I look in the back of this book and see the source content and footnotes, it's like this is really well researched. So I think there's an imagination part of like how these teachings might have come around, like teaching to the children first. That's that's how he tells the story, but the teachings themselves are really well researched and actually what, as far as we can know, the Buddha taught. So I'm I'm really grateful for to Thich Nhat Han not only for his imagination and bringing the bringing the Dharma to us in a way that's alive and accessible, but also the deep that it's deeply rooted in what we can know as far as research of what actually happened 2,600 years ago. So I'm going to hopefully have time to read from a couple different chapters. The first one is called The Morning Star Has Risen. So this is about the great night and then his awakening uh, with seeing the morning star. Through mindfulness, Siddhartha's body, mind, and breath were perfectly at one. His practice of mindfulness had enabled him to build great powers of concentration, which he could now use to shine awareness on his mind and body. After deeply entering meditation, he began to discern the presence of countless other beings in his own body right in the present moment, organic and inorganic beings, minerals, mosses, and grasses, insects, animal, and people were all within him. He saw that other beings were himself right in the present moment. He saw his own past lives, and here I'll just interject, so we can think about that as, you know, in maybe a traditional reincarnation sort of way with past lives, or we can think about the way in which all the cells of our body are recycled. So they were alive in the past. So however you want to think about that, he saw his own past lives, all his births and deaths. He saw the creation and destruction of thousands of worlds and thousands of stars. He felt all the joys and sorrows of every living being. He saw that every cell of his body contained all of heaven and earth and spanned the three times, past, present and future, It was the hour of the first first watch of the night. And I just want to say, the Buddha saw all this, but this is also true for each and every one of us. We are Buddha, and uh, what we'll enact today, we have, uh, Myo going to play the Buddha in in our little ceremony, but we're all the Buddha too. So this is true. So when I say these things about the Buddha's awakening, I hope you can feel that this is not apart from you and your awakening and what it is possible for you to realize. Gautama entered even more deeply into meditation. He saw how countless worlds arose and fell, were created and destroyed. He saw how countless beings passed through countless births and deaths. He saw that these births and deaths were but outward appearances and not true reality. Just as millions of waves rise and fall incessantly on the surface of the sea, while the sea itself is beyond birth and death. If the waves understood that they themselves were water, they would transcend birth and death and arrive at true inner peace, overcoming all fear. This realization enabled Gautama, which is another name for Buddha in case you weren't aware, uh, enabled Gautama to transcend the net of birth and death and he smiled. His smile was like a flower blossoming in the deep night, which radiated a halo of light. It was the smile of a wondrous understanding, the insight into the destruction of all defilements. He attained this level of understanding by the second watch. At just that moment, thunder crashed and great bolts of lightning flashed across the sky as if to rip the heavens in two. Black clouds concealed the moon and stars, Rain poured down. Gautama was soaking wet, but he did not budge. He continued his meditation. Without wavering, he shined his awareness on his mind. He saw that living beings suffer because they do not understand, that they share one common ground with all beings. Ignorance gives rise to a multitude of sorrows, confusions and troubles, greed, anger, Arrogance, doubt, jealousy, and fear all have their roots in ignorance. When we learn to calm our minds in order to look deeply at the true nature of things, we can arrive at full understanding which dissolves every sorrow and anxiety and gives rise to acceptance and love. Gautama now saw that understanding and love are one. Without understanding, there can be no love. Each person's disposition is a result of physical, emotional, and social conditions. When we understand this, we cannot hate even a person who behaves cruelly, but we can strive to help transform their physical, emotional, and social conditions. Understanding gives rise to compassion and love, which in turn give rise to correct action. In order to love, it is first necessary to understand, so understanding is the key to liberation. In order to attain clear understanding, it is necessary to live mindfully, making direct contact with life in the present moment, truly seeing what is taking place within and outside of oneself. So this is one big thing that those of us in retreat we're doing this past week is practicing mindfulness, but of course we can practice this anywhere, anytime, any of us. Practicing mindfulness, Thich Nhat Hanh says, strengthens, well not Thich Nhat Hanh. This is the Buddha saying this, but as um, written by Thich Nhat Hanh based on his research. Practicing mindfulness strengthens the ability to look deeply. And when we look deeply into the heart of anything, it will reveal itself. This is the secret treasure of mindfulness. It leads to the realization of liberation and enlightenment. Life is illuminated by right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. Siddhartha called this, the Noble Eightfold Path. Looking deeply into the heart of all beings, Siddhartha attained insight into everyone's minds, no matter where they were, and he was able to hear everyone's cries of both suffering and joy. He attained to the states of divine sight, divine hearing, and the ability to travel across all distances without moving. So when you just stop and think about that, that seems kind of magical. But if we really are completely interconnected with all beings, if we really are the sea, then we are everywhere at once. So so it's really not so mysterious. It was now the end of the third watch and there was no more thunder. The clouds rolled back to reveal the bright moon and stars. Gautama felt as though a prison, which had confined him for thousands of lifetimes, had broken open. Ignorance had been the jailkeeper. Because of ignorance, his mind had been obscured, just like the morning stars hidden by the storm clouds. Clouded by endless waves of deluded thoughts, the mind had falsely divided reality into subject and object, self and others, existence and non-existence, birth and death. And from these discriminations arose wrong views, the prisons of feelings, craving, grasping, and becoming. The suffering of birth, old age, sickness, and death only made the prison walls thicker. The only thing to do was to seize the jailkeeper and see his true face. The jailkeeper was ignorance. And the means to overcome ignorance were the noble, eightfold path. Once the jailkeeper was gone, the jail would disappear and never be rebuilt again. The hermit Gautama smiled and whispered to himself, Oh, jailer, I see you now. How many lifetimes have you confined me in the prisons of birth and death? But now I see your face clearly, and from now on you can build no more prisons around me. This is a direct quote from one of the sources. Oh, jailer, I see you now. How many lifetimes have you confined me in the prisons of birth and death? But now I see your face clearly. See that ignorance clearly. And from now on, you can build no more prisons around me. Looking up, Siddhartha saw the morning star appear on the horizon, twinkling like a huge diamond. He had seen this star so many times before while sitting beneath the pipala tree. But this morning it was like seeing it for the first time. It was dazzling as the jubilant smile of enlightenment. Siddhartha gazed at the star and exclaimed out of deep compassion, all beings contain within themselves the seeds of enlightenment and yet we drown in the ocean of birth and death for so many lifetimes. Siddhartha knew that he had found the great way. He had attained his goal and his heart now experienced perfect peace and ease. He thought about his years of searching, filled with disappointments and hardships. He thought of his father, mother, aunt, his wife, his son, and all of his friends. He thought of the palace of the town Kapalavatsu, his people and country, and all of those who lived in hardship and poverty, especially children. He promised to find a way to share his discovery to help all others liberate themselves from suffering. Out of his deep insight emerged a profound love for all beings. So in some sources, they tell a story that the Buddha and Myo On shared this with us in Sishin, that at first he said, oh, I don't want to teach because this would be too hard. But Thich Han sort of leaves that part <laughs> out. It's like right away. Um, so maybe there was that thought, but then right away there's this, oh, this love and compassion for, for beings." So that he's he's going to teach. So then when he teaches in this version, he teaches to the children and there is there are stories in the Buddhist texts about children who helped the Buddha. So there's Sujata who was the milkmaid who found, uh, found Gautama when he was almost dead because he had starved himself and practiced austerities for so many years that he was weak and um and she found him there and she offered him some milk and then he was able to regain his strength and then um i don't in in uh, Thich Nhat Han's story it's like she came back day after day and helped him um and offered him food and then Sevasti the, the buffalo boy um realized that he was just sitting on the bare hard ground and so brought some grasses cut some grasses and made a cushion for him to sit on and so in Thich Han's telling, it's like these children, of course, they're not just by themselves. They have families and siblings and friends. So in Thich Han's story, it's like then the friends also come and see this being that uh, Sujata and Swasti have met. And that the children are the ones who are right there because the Buddha's friends have abandoned him. They abandoned him when he started drinking milk and, you know, getting a soft cushion to sit on. They're like, oh, <laughs> he's not practicing anymore. <laughs> um, but then the children were right there. And so I think that's especially nice for us to reflect on it that way as we have our children in the other room. And they'll come in and help celebrate with us today um, as they always help us celebrate every week that they're here. So in this uh, telling, the first thing that he does, he gathers, the he tells the, tells Sebastian Sujata, go and bring your siblings and your friends and come back. And so they come back with some fruit and food and they have, you know, sit around under the Bodhi tree and have a little Dharma talk. And um, And he realizes that they can understand something that he has to teach. So he starts teaching them. And this is what he says. And many of you may be familiar with this meditation. When you children peel a tangerine, you can eat it with awareness or without awareness. What does it mean to eat a tangerine in awareness? When you are eating the tangerine, you are aware that you are eating the tangerine. (laughs) You fully experience its lovely fragrance and sweet taste. When you peel the tangerine, you know that you are peeling a tangerine. When you remove a slice and put it in your mouth, you know that you are removing a slice and putting it in your mouth. When you experience the lovely fragrance and sweet taste of the tangerine, you are aware that you are experiencing the lovely fragrance and the sweet taste of the tangerine. And then he says, oh, when, uh, now Badala, one of the, the person who offered the tangerine, uh, when she offered it um, I ate each morsel in awareness and saw how precious and wonderful it was. I did not forget the tangerine and thus the tangerine became something very real to me. If the tangerine is real, the person eating it is real. That is what it means to eat a tangerine in awareness. Children, what does it mean to eat a tangerine without awareness? When you are eating the tangerine, you do not know that you are eating the tangerine. <laughs> you do not experience the lovely fragrance and the sweet taste of the tangerine. When you peel the tangerine, you don't know that you are peeling the tangerine. And when you remove a slice and put it in your mouth, you don't know that you're removing a slice and putting it in your mouth. Now, how often have we ate like this, right? So we can know. If you are not aware that you're eating the tangerine, the tangerine is not real. If the tangerine is not real, the person eating it is not real real either. (laughs) Children, that is eating a tangerine without awareness. Children, eating the tangerine in mindfulness means that while eating the tangerine, you are truly in touch with it. Your mind is not chasing after thoughts of yesterday or tomorrow, but is dwelling fully in the present moment. The tangerine is truly present. Living in mindful awareness means to live in the present moment your body and mind dwelling in the very here and now. A person who practices mindfulness can see things in the tangerine that others are unable to see. An aware person can see the tangerine tree, the tangerine blossom in the spring, the sunlight and rain which nourish the tangerine. Looking deeply, one can see 10,000 things which have made the tangerine possible. Looking at a tangerine, a person who practices awareness can see all the wonders of the universe and how all things interact with each other. So you can see how he's teaching them, right? What he just realized the night before. Children, our daily life is just like a tangerine. Just as a tangerine is comprised of sections, each day is comprised of 24 hours. One hour is like one section of a tangerine. Living all 24 hours a day is like eating all of the sections of tangerine in mindfulness. The path I have found is a path of living each hour of the day in awareness, mind and body always dwelling in the present moment. The opposite is to live in forgetfulness. If we live in forgetfulness, we do not know that we are alive. We do not fully experience life because our mind and body are not dwelling in the here. And there's other wonderful teachings that he offers. I'm kind of running out of time. So I'm going to, uh, I just wanna close with saying, also in, in his telling of the story, it's the children who come up with the names. So they say, so here it says, Savati said, respected teacher, could we call this path the path of awareness? Siddhartha <laughs> um, smiled surely, I like that very much. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sujata joined her palm and asked, palms in a gasho and asked permission to speak. You are the awakened one, the one who shows us how to live in awareness. Can we call you awakened one? He sure. says yes, that would please me very much. Then she continues, awaken in Magadi is pronounced food. A person who is awakened will be called Buddha. May we call you Buddha? (laughs) And he breathes and then then one of the other children says, um, Sujata has told me how you have meditated beneath this pipala tree for the past six months and how just that last night you attained the great awakening. Respected Buddha, this pipala tree is the most beautiful one in all the forest. Can we call it the tree of awakening? The Bodhi tree? (laughs) The word Bodhi shares the same root as Buddha, and also means awakening. (laughs) Gautama nodded his head. He was delighted too. He had not guessed that during this gathering with the children, the path, himself, and even the great tree would all receive special names. (laughs) Navandala joined his palms. It is growing dark, and we must return to our homes, but we will come back to receive more of your teaching soon. The children all stood and joined their palms like lotus buds to thank the Buddha. They strolled home, chattering like a flock of happy birds. (laughs) The Buddha was happy too. He decided to stay in the forest for a longer period of time in order to explore ways to best sow the seeds of awakening and to allow himself as well special time to enjoy the great peace and joy that attaining the path had brought him." Always oh, it's interesting. He does decide to stay for a while, but it's to teach the children in this telling and to really be present with his, his understanding and with these delightful young beings. So with that, we will close and be ready for delightful young beings to join us.